I'm just saying, if you see Trump on Fifth Avenue with a gun, walk the other way because he can pretty much. Yeah. Good advice these days from your friendly well, broadcast. I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair, and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York, on WLPP. In Grand Rapids, on WPRR. In New Orleans, on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation. NicoleSendler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, for joining me and the delightful Desiree Doyen today. Yes. Hello, Desiree. <laughs> hey, I am here. Yesterday, he attacked four federal prosecutors and a federal judge working on the Roger Stone case. Today, the president of the United States went after a juror, the four-person who sat on that case. Seriously, a president of the United States is attacking a juror doing their civic duty on his Twitter account to hundreds of millions of Americans. According to Josh Kavensky at TPM, who has been all over this story today, President Trump adopted as his own attacks on the four-person of the jury and the prosecution of his friend, confidant, longtime GOP dirty trickster Roger Stone on Thursday, bringing his interference in that case, the case of his former longtime campaign advisor, to a new level. Trump appears to have been triggered by attacks in the right-wing media swamp that began to percolate on Wednesday night, attempting to discredit Stone's guilty verdict. He was found guilty on seven counts of obstruction, of witness tampering, of lying to Congress. And Trump saw these attacks by uh, folks on the right uh, claiming that this was a product of bias on the part of this jury foreperson. Trump took to Twitter and uh, said, uh, quote, now it looks like the foreperson in the jury in the Roger Stone case had significant bias. Add that to everything else. And this is not looking good for the Justice Department. 
and he put the word justice in quotes. President of the United States attacking his own Justice Department and a juror sitting on a criminal federal criminal case. There is no evidence in the public record that Stone's own attorneys in the case have formally raised any issues with this foreman since the conclusion of the trial or even before or during, according to Kavinsky. Moreover, they were made aware of the juror's background, the juror in question here, uh, all of the jurors, in fact, at the beginning of the trial, when they would have had the chance at that point to object to that person being included as a juror. That's how trials work. Mark Bennett, a former Iowa federal judge, told TPM the president ought to just butt out of it and let the process work its course. There are going to be jurors that are Democrats, Republicans, independents. Just because somebody is registered as a Democrat or active in the Democratic Party does not mean they could not be fair in the case. The president's involvement in the case marks a new high water mark, says Kavinsky. I would say it uh, marks a new low, frankly, in his unprecedented interference in the criminal justice system to help a longtime personal ally and associate and friend of his in a week already marred by the Justice Department rescinding a sentencing recommenda recommendation of seven to nine years for Roger Stone after the president took to Twitter and expressed displeasure about that recommendation. The president is totally out of control, according to William Yeomans, a former deputy assistant attorney general who spoke to TPM. He echoed what another former deputy assistant attorney general, Lisa Graves, told us on this on this broadcast yesterday. If you missed that interview, you can download it at bradblog.com. Yeomans added that Trump was trying to, quote, rewrite history and, quote, delegitimize the convictions that came out of the Mueller investigation. In fact, uh, this case is an extension of the Mueller investigation because Roger Stone lied and lied and lied throughout it and threatened other witnesses if they didn't also lie to Robert Mueller in that investigation. Under the criminal justice system, the federal criminal justice system, Stone's defense had the same right to object to jurors before the trial, as did the prosecutors in this case, all under the supervision of an impartial judge. In this case, that would be District Judge Amy Berman Jackson, who Trump also attacked on Twitter on Wednesday, incredibly enough. The current batch of allegations began to appear late Wednesday evening. The jury foreperson made a Facebook post expressing support for the professionalism of the four prosecutors who resigned in protest from the case this week after the uh, senior uh, officials at the Department of Justice intervened and said, no, no, seven to nine years, that's too much. We're going to change that. We're going to ask for less. So this jury four person here apparently made a Facebook post, expressed support for those prosecutors, called them professional after their resignations in protest of uh, being overrun, essentially, by Bill Barr and by the president, who had taken to Twitter to attack them, 
Right-wing operatives and media organizations immediately jumped on the juror's background once she had uh, essentially exposed herself uh, via this Facebook post, and they accused her of being an operative of the Democratic Party. Neither the articles uh, that were attacking the juror nor Donald Trump have mentioned that Stone's attorneys were, in fact, afforded the opportunity at the start of the November 2019 trial to examine every single potential juror in depth and request that potential jury members that they found unsuitable be removed from the case. This information, Kovensky writes in a separate piece, was uh, was in the open all along. There was no secrets here. All of this information was known, was known by the prosecutors, was known by the defense attorneys. The four-person disclosed her primary run and Democratic Party affiliations at trial. Apparently she ran at some point for office as a Democrat, but that was all disclosed at the beginning of the trial. During the jury selections, just as the law requires, Kovinsky says the judge knew it. Stone's lawyers knew it. She was seated as a juror, elected as a foreperson for that jury, and the jury returned a conviction against uh, against uh, Roger Stone. Trump's decision to sign on to this attack, writes Kovinsky, marks not only an escalation in his meddling in the Stone case, but a change in direction. While the president's actions this week have gone towards preventing federal prosecutors from demanding a tough sentence for Stone, in this case, Trump is now directing his attack at the judiciary itself, a separate branch of government meant to remain impartial. So he's attacking the Justice Department, which, by the way, is in the executive branch, which he oversees, and now he's also attacking the court system. The uh, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General uh, uh, Yeomans said, in this new Wild West in which we are living, everybody is open to attack. Everybody. So jurors may be game, and that is disturbing, he says, but I hope that the jurors will continue to understand that they are protected, that there are safeguards, and they have to decide cases based on the facts and the law. Are they protected? Are there safeguards? Right now, the entirety of the right-wing media, pretty much, and the president of the United States himself is going after a private citizen, a private person who had the temerity to show up and perform jury duty, as is her civic obligation. I wonder if Donald Trump ever showed up for jury duty or if he called in with a doctor's excuse that he had uh, bone spurs. This is not good. And this is getting darker and darker, frankly, by the hour in this country. Even a witness in the case uh, who is arguing against jail time for Roger Stone had to come out in defense of the prosecutors yesterday. Activist and radio host Randy Credico, who is a witness in Stone's trial, is standing by the four prosecutors who withdraw from the, who withdrew from the case alleging that Trump targeted the prosecutors with a, quote, vile smear job. Credico, who was uh, one of the witnesses that Stone tampered with, remember he was found uh, guilty of witness tampering, he was one of the witnesses that Stone tampered with, and uh, and, uh, Stone actually threatened to kill Credico's dog if he testified honestly in the case. We have email of this that came out uh, during the case. Credico has known Stone for a number of years, and he took to Twitter uh, 
on Wednesday to criticize the president after the Justice Department asked the court to decrease the recommended seven to nine year sentence for Stone, which uh, led to the prosecutors quitting. Which, as uh, by the way, a former deputy assistant attorney general, Lisa Graves, explained on yesterday's program here that that uh, seven to nine year sentence is based on specific federal sentencing guidelines that have to be followed by prosecutors, but which can then be overruled or changed in any way by the sentencing judge. But the prosecutors basically go through, uh, you know, whatever the uh, the person has been convicted of and goes through these specific guidelines that are laid out and says, according to the federal guidelines, this is what this uh, person convicted of this crime should be sentenced with. Now, judge, it's up to you what you finally decide to sentence them with or not. But Credico, despite having been threatened by Roger Stone, has actually been lobbying for Stone uh, on his behalf, basically, for no jail time whatsoever for Stone. And nonetheless, he was still appalled by Trump's attacks on the prosecutors of Stone. Credico wrote, as the man as the son of a man who spent 10 years in prison, I have consistently opposed incarceration. That being said, Trump's vile smear job on the four D.C. prosecutors were appalling and ominous. In my experience, he wrote, I found them to be professional, moral, ethical and nonpartisan. Credico had previously pleaded to the uh, uh, Judge Amy Berman Jackson that Stone should not be sent to jail after he was convicted on the seven counts of lying to Congress and witness tampering. During the trial, prosecutors revealed evidence showing that Stone had threatened Credico multiple times not to comply with the congressional investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Trump and the Justice Department now face backlash for whatever that's worth, after the department told Judge Jackson that the prosecutor's original recommendation, quote, does not accurately reflect the Department of Justice's position and said that the sentence should uh, last, quote, far less time. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer called for an emergency hearing on Wednesday after the Justice Department backtracked on the original suggested sentence. But Trump's uh, good golfing buddy, Senator Lindsey Graham, who chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee where any such emergency hearing might be held, has so far rebuffed Schumer's calls for an investigation or for a hearing on the matter, at least as of today. Yes, little, uh, little Lindsey Graham continues to uh, protect Donald Trump from criminal behavior. Speaker Nancy Pelosi over in the House has also requested an investigation. I suspect we may see a bit more uh, action, uh, you know, oversight of the executive branch as mandated by the U.S. Constitution and all. I suspect we may see a little bit more of that over in the U.S. House, which is controlled by Democrats. And as that is all playing out. So is the fallout from Donald Trump's removal of Purple Heart recipient, Iraq War veteran Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the removal from his post on Donald Trump's own National Security Council because Vindman had the temerity to answer a lawful congressional subpoena and testify honestly to what he knew and didn't about Trump's scheme to pressure 
Ukraine, into helping him in the 2020 election, into helping him cheat in the 2020 election by withholding hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid and a White House meeting from the Ukrainian president, which eventually led to Donald Trump's two articles of impeachment. Vindman was removed from his post last week. Was it last week, Desi Doyen? Seems either a thousand years ago or just 10 minutes ago. I'm right. confused. I think it was last week. He was removed along with his twin brother. Who had nothing to do with any of it. Right. He sat on the National Security Council as well as an attorney. And then Trump sacked his own EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland, who was a $1 million donor to Trump. So he bought that ambassadorship. But apparently money doesn't buy uh, loyalty, I guess, from this president. Nothing does, because uh, Sondland also ha answered a subpoena, a lawful subpoena in that case, and testified as required under the law. So he had to be done away with as well as soon as the uh, Republicans voted in the U.S. Senate, uh, despite all of the evidence that, yes, Donald Trump was guilty uh, as charged of those two articles of impeachment. Uh, despite that, they would uh, give him a get out of free, a get out of jail free card. You know, it's it's incredible that just one week ago. We could have removed this dangerous menace from the presidency, from the White House. And no, at the time, you may recall, Republicans were arguing, well, this is Democrats just want to tear up all the ballots of all the voters in the last election. They want to undo the results of the 2016 election by removing Donald Trump from office. No, removing Donald Trump from office unfortunately, would not have undone the results of the last election. It would not have torn up everyone's ballots from the last election. All of the uh, federal uh, benches, the federal uh, court seats that have been filled up by Republicans, including two on the stolen majority, Republican majority Supreme Court, all of those would have stayed in place. All of the laws that Donald Trump has signed and passed, all of that would have stayed in place. All of the children separated from their parents at the borders would still, still be, be separated. separated. Yep. All of the regulations, all of the rollbacks to what uh, Barack Obama had done in trying to save this planet to keep it liv livable for as long as possible, all of those rollbacks of all of those things would still be in place. And no, they would not be uh, unrolled back because the president would have become Mike Pence, who would have continued all of the same programs that Donald Trump uh, was carrying out. Anyway, uh, we didn't get rid of him a week ago. So now we have this. Now we have a, a president bent on vindictive, vindictiveness, bent on destroying his enemies, perceived and otherwise, bent on destroying the justice system, bent on destroying the judiciary, bent on attacking, uh, attacking jurors for doing their job as jurors. Because they happened to sit on a case where they found one of his pals, one of his buddies guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of seven criminal counts attacking uh, his own prosecutors that he appointed in many cases. Uh, on Wednesday, former White House chief of staff and retired Marine Corps General John Kelly 
praised Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman for refusing to be silent during Trump's pressure campaign on Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. During an event at Drew University in New Jersey, General Kelly, again a Marine Corps general and Trump's own former chief of staff, said Vindman, who was on Trump's infamous call with Zelensky, was doing what he had been trained to do as a military officer when he reported Trump's request that Zelensky investigate Joe Biden to a White House lawyer. Kelly described Trump's request that uh, that Vindman not testify in response to his subpoena from Congress as a, quote, illegal order. We teach them don't follow an illegal order. And if you if you're ever given one, you'll raise it to whoever gives it to you that this is an illegal order. And then you will tell your boss. That's what the former White House chief of staff said, according to The Atlantic today. And yes, we had a, a, a pretty famous trial or two at one point on this planet known as the Nuremberg Trials, where Nazis, after World War II, tried to argue that they were just taking orders. They were just soldiers, just taking orders from uh, someone above them. That did not fly at Nuremberg for the Nazis, and it should not fly in the United States of America, where troops... Uh, as Kelly says, uh, military uh, troops, soldiers are trained to not follow unlawful orders from superiors and to report, report it when that happens. Which is exactly what Vindman did. But I guess Donald Trump prefers the disgraced uh, Nazi soldier defense instead of what we are supposed to be doing here in the United States. Catching wind of Kelly's remarks, what do you think happened next once Donald Trump heard about that? Yes, he took to Twitter to attack General Kelly, the Marine Corps general, the decorated Marine Corps general. He said, when I terminated John Kelly, which I couldn't do fast enough, he knew full well that he was way over his head. Trump, again, apparently ignorant of Nuremberg, also claimed that Kelly has a, quote, military and legal obligation to keep his mouth shut. That is not how this works, Mr. President. That is not how this works, not even in the slightest. Other than maybe in Nazi Germany, where you might have been much happier as an authoritarian dictator, but that is not how it works in this country. Trump fired Vindman from the National Security Council last week, and Vindman was unceremoniously escorted out of the White House with his twin brother. Trump also suggested on Tuesday that the military should take disciplinary action against Vindman. For what? Nobody actually knows. But if Donald Trump succeeds in capturing the military and the Pentagon in the same way that he has clearly captured the once revered Department of Justice and, yes, the court system, well, all bets are off. Every bet, every bet about the future of this nation will be off. 
Trump said, well, it's going to be up to the military, but if you look at what happened, I mean, they're going to certainly, I'd imagine, take a look at that. What he did, he reported a false call, talking about Vinman making no sense whatsoever. He did not report a false call. He reported nothing falsely, nothing. There is no evidence that he reported anything falsely. He reported a call where the president of the United States was committing a crime. A crime that was confirmed by the Government Accountability Office on the very same wake that his captured Republican U.S. Senate had acquitted him for those proven high crimes and misdemeanors. I realize that this is all very dark and that it is getting darker by the day. Uh, I realize that many may want to simply turn away from what is going on here. I know that I do. And I wouldn't blame anybody who wanted to do the same. I really wouldn't. This is grim. But folks need to understand it and understand how grim this actually is. We cannot turn away from this. At least we should not turn away from this. Not with the very republic now at stake at this point. Not to mention civilization on the planet beyond it. Yes, by way of a sidebar here, we've got our latest Green News report coming up a little bit later today. Yeah, that'll be a little bright bit of sunshine, I hope. Well, it actually has some surprisingly, almost shockingly good news in it for a change. And a little bit of comedy to so boot. So hang there's in that. For that. <laughs> but I digress. Last night on, uh, on uh, Rachel Maddow's program, uh, she did a very good opening monologue, I thought, for the first 30 minutes or so, going back uh, to some warnings that were issued about authoritarianism and tyranny in this country, issued on the very first day that Trump was elected back in 2016. Warnings from folks like uh, Russian journalist Masha Gessen, who uh, emigrated from that country under threats, from Vladimir Putin against journalists who were critical of his regime. Basically, the gist of what uh, Maddow was saying was that when authoritarians say stuff out loud, we ought to listen to them. We ought to believe them. We should listen to their threats about jailing political opponents, as Trump forecast years ago with his lock her up nonsense that he used to get elected, that we should pay attention to that, that we should hear the alarms. And she argued that America is, in fact, hearing them. And I don't know for certain if she is right about that. I really don't. I don't know how many people have turned away or how many people have been just impossibly brainwashed by the right wing media, by right wing talk radio and Fox News and all the rest. But enough of us are, in fact, hearing the alarms, seeing the institutions that had previously uh, protected our fragile democracy fall one after another after another. Matto asked, uh, as we did on this show yesterday to uh, Lisa Graves, um, she said, OK, well, we hear the alarms. We we see the institutions being crushed under the unprecedented uh, oppression and corruption. So if this is going on and if a president cannot be indicted and if a president cannot be impeached, what now? What do we all do now? It was a very good, if chilling, monologue uh, asking a very good question. 
as if she was going to then be joined by a guest with the answer to that question. What now? What, what, what do we all need to do now to reverse the authoritarian tide? Unfortunately, the guest that she had offered no real solutions, said, uh, yeah, this is terrible. I've never seen anything like it, but I don't know what we do. Well, our guest yesterday, at least, Lisa Graves, uh, if I recall correctly, she offered uh, a solution. And frankly, it's the only solution that we have been able to come up with, and that is to vote. To vote like we have never voted before in this country in this year's elections. Because if Trump wins another term, all bets are off. Everything is off. And that's exactly why we have covered every aspect of our electoral system in so much detail for so long on at bradblog.com and on this program and on everyone else's program who would who would allow us to speak the reason we have been covering it is for this moment all of the precautions that we have offered and the warnings that we have issued were meant to protect against someone like Donald Trump from undermining the system, ultimately. As I've said for many years, the only way to ultimately remove the bad guys is at the ballot box, if we can get to the ballot box and if our ballots can be counted as cast. Because if that institution falls as well, if it's captured, if it is broken, as so many have tried to for so many years and are still trying to do to this day, if that happens, we are finished. There is nothing left. The election this November is our last firewall. To that end, uh, let's take a break and we will pick up with, yes, some more election stuff, uh, including, hey, some good news, sort of, from NBC News and the Today Show, uh, which has uh, decided to notice the dangers of uh, one of the very expensive, if completely unverifiable, voting systems that I have been warning about for, oh, a decade. Now they've noticed. I'll take it. Um, and uh, some some concerns elsewhere as well. We'll see what I have time to get to today as the good fight to keep you informed and overseeing and in charge somehow of your own democracy continues right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So uh, a point or two on uh, New Hampshire's primary on Tuesday. 
uh, that I didn't get to get to, uh, which was won by Bernie Sanders, uh, who's fo- uh, followed closely by Pete Buttigieg and then Amy Klobuchar. A couple of points I wanted to make sure uh, we notice here first. Uh, one quick data point worth highlighting for those folks who appear worried about someone as progressive as Bernie Sanders potentially winning the Democratic nomination. A whole host of head-to-head polls of late have showed Bernie Sanders defeating Donald Trump. But that, of course, is in a national election, which, you know, we don't run national elections in this country. But Sanders, along with pretty much all of the other Democrats uh, in head-to-head matchups of late, are are, uh, defeating Donald Trump from anywhere from nine to four points. But for those who think that a progressive like Sanders would turn off moderates and independents, well, maybe, but not right now. Uh, there was this from the New, New Hampshire primary exit polling uh, that may be of note in the uh, often evenly divided state of, Nor- of New Hampshire. Among independents who voted, according to the exit poll, who showed up to vote in the primary, Bernie Sanders won 29 percent of them. Pete Buttigieg won 24 percent. Amy Klobuchar won 18. Uh, So, you know, theoretically, independents, theoretically, they're more uh, conservative. They're not as far left, I guess, as uh, as uh, as Democrats. These are independents who who some of them might even be Republican. I don't know. Uh, But they favor Bernie by 29 percent, at least in New Hampshire. So there's that as some potentially good news for worried Democrats. And uh, there is this, though I will warn you, there will be a caveat at the end because I am just like that, aren't I? (laughs) Uh, Always telling you the truth and stuff, even if you would rather not hear it. Sorry about that. Uh, After a lackluster showing in Iowa, Democrats flooded New Hampshire's polling places. By Tuesday night, it was clear the turnout would surpass the 255,000 votes cast in the 2016 Democratic presidential primary, according to New York Magazine's Intelligencer. And then on Wednesday, the record uh, 200 and almost 89,000 votes cast back in 2008 in the big race with uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. That record fell as well, according to CNN. Uh, After all the votes are counted, at least 295,000 ballots will have been cast in the Democratic primary. That's good news. Uh, For Democrats who were closely watching that number after uh, they were less than delighted about the number of people who attended the Iowa caucuses last week, those numbers were generally flat from 2016, a slight uptick from 2016, but uh, far below the 2008 numbers in the Hawkeye state. But not so in New Hampshire, where Democrats did turn out, though I would still argue that many Democrats and Republicans Uh, are just fine with whoever the Democrats end up nominating because they just want to vote Donald Trump out. So they may not be showing up at these primaries. They may not have an opinion about it. But the numbers out of Iowa had the Trump campaign celebrating and some Democrats becoming very anxious. New Hampshire's turnout uh, may slow some of that anxiety as uh, Adam Raymond reports at the Intelligencer, uh, ahead of the general election in which Democrats are hoping massive turnout will help defeat Donald Trump. But as usual, there are a few caveats to this. 
First, as noted by 538, in 2020, New Hampshire has around 89,000 more eligible voters than it did 12 years ago back in 2008. So that means that 26 percent of eligible voters cast a ballot in the primary in New Hampshire this year. That is actually less than the percent of eligible voters, 29 percent. Uh, who cast a vote in the opening contest between Obama and Clinton and John Edwards back in 2008. So voter turnup was up in, up in raw numbers. Because uh, they have more people. But down as, as far as percentages. But so, only compared to 2008, it sounds like. Which was a record year. Right. right. Not necessarily 2016. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's ultimately uh, lower percentage-wise than 2008, but it is far, far higher than 2016. But before you get too excited about <laughs> any of that, about 100 and, uh, what was it here, about 130,000 voters cast ballots for Donald Trump uh, or actually cast ballots uh, overall on the Republican side in a race where he was essentially running unopposed in the Republican primary in New Hampshire, 10, uh, let's see, about 14,000 of those who voted in the Republican primary voted for Bill Weld, which is a pretty huge percentage, frankly, of Republicans to turn out and vote against an incumbent president. But for perspective, in 2012, incumbent uh, president at the time, Barack Obama, received uh, just under 50,000 votes in the New Hampshire primary. The all-time record for an incumbent was achieved by Bill Clinton. He got about 77,000 votes. So Trump did not just break the record for an incumbent president uh, getting votes in an uncontested primary in New Hampshire. He shattered it with about 120-something thousand votes. Another way to look at so, you know, people are happy about the turnout on the Democratic side. Uh, pay attention to what's going on on the Republican side as well. Another way to look at it uh, was from Dave Wasserman uh, a uh, of uh, the Cook Politico report. He said the in uh, 2012, the New Hampshire primary votes uh, were for Obama, about forty nine thousand and Republicans who had a contested primary was about 250,000. In 2020, Democrats had higher numbers than that in their contested primary, almost 300,000. But Donald Trump almost tripled the numbers that Obama got in 2012 uh, in his uncontested primary. Uh, so that's just one way to look at it. Keep that in mind before you get too, too excited uh, Democrats may be ready to vote tomorrow, uh, but so are a bunch of Republicans. So, yeah, every vote matters here uh, this year in every state, as far as I'm concerned, and in every race, whether it's New Hampshire's four electoral votes or Georgia's 16, where the entire state will be voting on unverifiable touchscreens again this year at the polls with a brand new system that is as bad or worse than the one that they have been using for about 20 years, which was now ordered by a judge that they got to get rid of that one because it's so insecure and error prone. So uh, they've just replaced it with another insecure and error prone and unverifiable touchscreen system or the 20 electoral votes in the battleground state of Pennsylvania, where the most uh, 
Democratic part of that state, Philadelphia, is set to use new, similarly unverifiable touchscreen voting systems as well, unless the lawsuit to block them is somehow successful and quickly. All the way out here to Los Angeles, where we had, uh, for the longest time, on this program and at bradblog.com, been the loneliest voice trying to warn against similarly new and unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Um, few were complaining about it because, I guess, I don't know, maybe, uh, oh, L.A., California, it's so blue out here. Why worry that anything will go wrong? Well, if a voter cannot vote or can't know if their vote was cast as intended, something has already gone terribly wrong as far as I'm concerned. And I don't care which party or which candidate is affected that way. So uh, not to mention, by the way, as as goes L.A., so goes the rest of California, by and large, given the size of L.A. County, uh, five and a half million voters. It's larger than about 40 entire states. We have 55 electoral votes in the state of California. That's the most in the nation. Uh, and in the upcoming Democratic primary, there are also a total of 494 Democratic delegates at stake. 415 of them are actually pledged delegates allocated on the basis of the results of the March 3rd Super Tuesday primary. So what happens here in L.A. and in California makes a big difference uh, as far as who is going to be running on the Democratic side this year. Well, after 10 years of my sounding the alarm, 10 years about uh, this particular new system coming to Los Angeles, sounding the alarm at Bradblog and on this program as it was being developed, I'm finally uh, getting some help from a few in the corporate media, a little bit of help anyway, just days before the new system is now finally set for use in the critical presidential primary on March 3rd. So it took 10 years, but hey, I'll take whatever help I can get. <laughs> Last week, uh, it was the local CBS News affiliate here in Los Angeles, which uh, on their 11 p.m. news finally informed voters about the dangers of this new 100% unverifiable computer touchscreen system. Coming here to the nation's largest jurisdiction, I was featured in that report, which we played for you last week on the show. Uh, if you missed it, you can see it over at bradblog.com. Even if you heard it, you can go watch it. You can enjoy it again and again over at bradblog.com. In any event, this morning, NBC's Today Show. So this is nationally. They finally ran their own investigative report by journalist Cynthia McFadden on L.A.'s new VSAP system, which stands for Voting Solutions for All People. That, after a few of us uh, gently criticized her uh, a few months ago for an earlier report that she did on this system, which was you know, largely a glowing, hey, L.A. is coming into the modern digital voting era with its new touchscreens kind of report. Well, she, I think, made up for that in spades on Thursday morning with a follow-up report that features among others, uh, Georgia Tech's excellent computer professor and voting system expert Rich DeMillo, who uh, was formerly chief technology officer at Hewlett Packard and most proudly, no doubt, has been a featured guest on this program several times. You will hear him in this report. Here's uh, Cynthia McFadden's report from today's Today. If you could design the perfect voting system, what would it look like? It would look like it looked uh, 200 years ago. Richard DeMillo is a distinguished professor of computer science at Georgia Tech. One area of expertise, voting security. It would be uh, paper, a pen, 
individual voters marking their choices on a piece of paper to be counted either by hand or by, by machine. In fact, most of the country, about 70%, does vote that way. But it's not the new system in Los Angeles. When it came time to replace the county's antiquated system, new back when Nixon defeated Humphrey, the decision was made to create from scratch a publicly owned voting machine system, a first of its kind. Yep. L.A. County Registrar Dean Logan has supervised the process from the beginning. So, 10 years and almost $300 million later, mission accomplished? I think so. This is a system that produces a paper ballot. It is a human-readable paper ballot that you can go back and audit and count. But, it's but not many marked by are hand. concerned, as this paper ballot is not marked by a voter's hand. Thank you. Voters make their choice on a touchscreen, and then a machine-generated paper ballot is presented. Great, ballot printed. Machines that can be hacked or simply make mistakes. The solution, according to Dean Logan and two of his technical advisors, voters themselves who need to carefully review their ballots before casting them. Except studies show most people don't review their ballots. We did a study here. We found that voters were spending on the average of 222 milliseconds verifying a ballot with 18 ballot choices. Another recent study concluded only about 40% of voters check it all. Is the L.A. system different? Not much. Of 81 L.A. voters in a mock election, 51% reviewed their ballots for about two minutes, which means half of them didn't. But Logan says the new system addresses another important issue that hand-marked paper ballots can't, accessibility. This is the first system in the nation that allows a voter with a, a disability to vote completely independently a secret ballot for the first time without having to disclose that they have a disability and be relegated to a corner of the room and, and, and treated differently. Voters with disabilities need to have reasonable accommodations. To say that we all have to adopt an insecure technology puts the entire election uh, at risk and that can't be the price of accessibility. But there are other concerns. On Christmas Eve, a technical report by an outside expert commissioned by the California Secretary of State was released. It chronicles a wide variety of security and operational issues, many of them vital to protecting the integrity of the vote. I think at first reading it's, it's terrifying. At first reading it's terrifying? Yes, yeah, because there are things that, that are clear security vulnerabilities in the system um, that are brushed aside. It's not unusual for new systems to have issues during the certification process, but experts say it is unusual to have them surface this close to a big election. While many of the issues identified have been corrected, according to Logan, some of the more complex concerns with the system software won't be addressed until just months before the general election in November. What it means is that the version of the system that's going to be used in that presidential election it will be the first time it's being used. It's very high stakes. It's the sort of thing that would keep any clerk recorder awake at night. Mm. If this were a graduate student in cybersecurity who presented this system to you... You don't get an A if half of your requirements aren't met. You get an incomplete. 
Well, and a practical issue has surfaced. The ballots sometimes get stuck and destroyed in the machines at five times the allowable rate in California, which means that voters have to vote again. Now, Logan says that has been fixed. And finally, a plan B. If all does not go well, the California Secretary of State has mandated that all 1,000 new voting centers in L.A. must have paper ballots on mm-hmm. hand. Yeah. And, and L.A. County, I guess they're already facing legal challenges over this new system. That's well. absolutely right, Craig. So Beverly Hills is suing over the system, complaining that only four candidates appear on the touchscreen at a time and that voters must select the more button oh. to see additional candidates. Now, if they press next, they never see those names. Oh, and this oh. year, there are more than 30 contests with five or more candidates. Now, that more button has been enlarged and circled in yellow. Now, a final note, I think this is really important. LA voters can request to vote at home on hand-marked paper ballots. I'm telling you, paper's having a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, paper's having a moment. It was so funny. Yeah, uh, voters uh, can do that and they should do that. Those, uh, she uh, talks about the the hand-marked paper ballots you'll be able to get at the polls in Los Angeles. You have to A, know to ask for them, and B, you have to know every office and every candidate you want to vote for because they will reportedly be write-in ballots, uh, not real regular ballots like you will get in uh, if you vote by mail. So if you are a Los Angeles voter, please, please go to lavote.net, ASAP, lavote.net, and request a hand-marked paper vote-by-mail ballot this year. I only recommend vote-by-mail ballots in voting jurisdictions where touchscreens are forced on on voters at the polls. I hate to do it, but in this case, it is the only way to vote in Los Angeles, as far as I'm concerned, this year. And in any jurisdiction, if you are going to be forced to vote on a touchscreen on Election Day, try to get an absentee vote by mail ballot and then deliver that ballot in person on Election Day or as near to it as possible in order to maximize the odds of your votes being counted as cast. The information you now have, I hope you will now share it with everyone you know. Pretty please and thank you. All right. Quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report to cheer us up right after (laughs) this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I know I have been uh, forgetting to uh, mention this. Uh, my friend Tom Hartman uh, has a new book called The Hidden, Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back. Uh, Tom will be out in Los Angeles, so our listeners here uh, who happen to be in the area, he is taking part in a KPFK speaker series over the weekend on Saturday, February 15th. I will be there, as will my friends Stephanie Miller and Greg Pallast. I hope you will uh, consider coming on out as well. It is at the Sportsman's Lodge on Ventura Boulevard, although I think most tickets may already be sold out. But hey, come on and say hello. I'll hang out with you in the uh, parking lot. It'll be fun. It'll be much more fun. So that's uh, this Saturday. You can stop by kpfk.org 
to get more information. All right, let's get to it. I know I'm late. Our latest Green News report. I have come away with one inescapable conclusion, and that is that we have got to change. Oil giant BP announces major shift to cut its emissions. Sea level rise is accelerating on the U.S. East Coast. Get used to record-breaking heat because it's here to stay. Plus, even though President Trump sometimes dismisses climate change, this group of House Republicans says their policies can pass this year and get the presidential signature the Democrats' Green New Deal can't. House Republicans unveil their version of climate legislation. Really? Yes, really. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. As to whether it is human-induced climate change, my mind is open. What is the evidence that you are relying on? I'm not relying on evidence, Hamish. I am saying... (laughs) (laughs) Well, that explains a little bit about Australia. This is your... Green News Report. You should keep an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. (laughs) Okay, Desi Doyen, BP, says they've come around, they care about climate change, Republicans in Congress are going to pass climate legislation. Color me dubious today? (laughs) Yes, I think you're on the right track, but you know, we'll get to that in a moment. First, another study confirms that sea level rise is accelerating in the United States, particularly along the East Coast. Out of 32 tide gauge stations along the entire U.S. coastline, from Maine to Alaska, 80% of those gauges showed a clear acceleration with water levels rising faster in 2019 than in 2018. The researchers warn that that faster rate means the worst scenarios for coastal inundation and flooding are becoming more likely. Those worst-case scenarios projected by NOAA are as much as eight feet of sea level rise by 2100. Eight feet? Yes. A different study warns that record-shattering heat waves and annual temperature records are here to stay. The researchers project that nearly every year in the coming decade will likely rank in the top 10 hottest years ever recorded. That would knock out the last 10 years, which are currently the hottest 10 years on record. In Washington, House Republicans on Wednesday unveiled a new package of bills aimed at addressing climate change. It's an attempt to shift the party's message now that voters are demanding climate action. The legislation does not include cutting emissions or reducing dependence on fossil fuels or really anything that might offend the fossil fuel industry. And how can they call that climate change legislation? It's climate denial light. It (laughs) invests in research to capture carbon emissions and plant trees. I see. Republicans' bill is in sharp contrast to the Trump administration's proposed 2021 budget, which, if he is reelected, increases logging on the public's lands, eliminates the Energy Department's Advanced Clean Energy Research Division, and slashes the Environmental Protection Agency's budget by a third. So let me get this straight. The Republicans' plan for fighting climate change is to plant trees. The president's plan for the next year is to cut them down. Yes. This is working out very well. 
Senate Democrats also proposed legislation. Theirs includes putting the nation on a path to net zero emissions by no later than 2050 and requiring plastics manufacturers to be financially responsible for the plastic waste they create. Oh, so it's a grown-up plan. Yes. But of course... That won't be signed. The Trump administration has now begun controlled blasting in parts of Arizona's Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument, home to rare and endangered species and sacred Native American burial sites. That's in order to construct Trump's border wall with Mexico. Finally, big news from BP. British Petroleum's new CEO announced on Wednesday that the company is shifting gears to reduce its contribution to global warming. BP will eliminate or offset set all greenhouse gas emissions from its operations and cut the carbon intensity of its products in half by 2050. Here's BP's new CEO, Bernard Looney, and yes, that is his real name. We have got to change and change profoundly. We have to because the world is changing fast and so are society's expectations of us. But it is more than having to change. We want to change. We want to change because it's the right thing for the world, and it's a tremendous business opportunity for BP. So that's for real? The CEO of BP is saying we need to offset all emissions? Yes, it reflects the growing pressures on big companies now to show that they're acting to address climate change. And do you buy it? Are they really acting to address climate change, or are they just showing that they're trying to act to address climate change. It's light on details, but environmental groups are cautiously optimistic. And what's his name again? Bernard Looney. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. That's all, folks. Ah, oh, thank you. That made my day. I appreciate Good. it. Uh, by the way, it does, so you really think BP is serious about this? This is a big deal if they're really going to... I believe I believe they are serious about this, but of course we will know when we actually see their actions. Yeah, and if they don't can that new CEO who's only been on the job for what two weeks? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, okay. By the way, are you going to be at the uh, event with the uh, Hartman and uh, Stephanie yes, Miller? Yes, of course. All right. So come say hello to Desi, even if you don't want to <laughs> see me. All right. That's it. Thanks to our producer Desi Doyen. To all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program. Download it and share it with your friends and family planet-wide at bradblog.com. That is all made available by those of you who support our work every day by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate, where you can make a one-time uh, donation of any amount you like or a monthly donation of any amount you like automatically uh, done. We thank you for whatever help you can provide. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Blog. Send me uh, love mail and tips to bradcast at bradblog.com. And that is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.